Well, good morning. Hey, it is my privilege this morning to get to continue our series called The Callings. It has been a uh, really a conversation starter, uh, something that's been very introspective to a lot of us. And so I just want to start off by reminding us what our core passage is for this entire series, and that's Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And this is what it says. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith. So today, as we come to the last of the five callings that are listed here in Ephesians 4, which is teacher, and then we're ultimately going to wrap up our series next week. I just want to say that I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope this has um, really spurred you on to think and pray about what your calling might be. I know at least for my life group, we've had a lot of discussions, and it's been fun because we've, we've kind of had that question of like, wait a minute, I thought I was this, and maybe, maybe I'm something else. So this series has been really good for us, and I think it has driven us to God's Word, which is exactly what our series should do each and every time. We should go to God's Word and ask Him, and He's going to be faithful to tell us. So in the New Testament, there's an example of a teacher, which is what we're talking about today, and his name is James. Now, to, to stay at the out front, a teacher explains the incremental details of the execution of vision, the who, the what, the when, the why, and the how of an itinerary. So James in the New Testament, you can tell that he's a teacher by the way that he writes. Let's look at James 1, 2 through 4. It says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now that is spoken like a true teacher, lays it all out for us. And I thought it'd be fun for us just for distinction to think about how the other callings might approach this passage. Maybe for the prophet, he would probably stop at Consider it pure joy when you face trials. You know, it just kind of hits you with the hard truth, that wonderful statement right there. Consider it joy when you face trials. That's where the prophet would probably stop, nothing else. No explanation as to why, just the, just the frightening statement. An apostle might add, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds so that you lack nothing. That's kind of the overarching vision that we would expect from an apostle. There's little explanation of why and what and how. Maybe the evangelist, uh, this is not a party, so the evangelist is out. He's not, he's not in on this verse at all. I'm just, just kidding. Um, and then for the pastor, we know that they are going to be with us through the trials. They're going to walk with us. But the truth is, we have to walk with us and the Lord alone. And so a teacher helps us to understand the steps as to why all of this is happening. So today, that's the New Testament example. We're actually going to look at an Old Testament example of somebody who shows the characteristics of a teacher, and that is Gideon. So if you want to go ahead and flip over to Judges 6 and 7, that's where we're going to be today. Let me give you a little bit of context for the passage that we're going to read. The Israelites uh, made a bad decision, and you know that that happened quite often, but they chose to worship Baal. And when they did that, this led to seven years of oppression by a group of people called the Midianites. And scripture tells us that Israel was poverty stricken and they cried out to God and God sends them a prophet to tell them what they'd done wrong uh, because it wasn't obvious to them. And then we are going to read about Gideon and how an angel comes to him to commission him to the service of God. And eventually 
this is going to lead to the deliverance of the Israelites from the Midianites. So let's look, Judges 6, we're going to start in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to pop up on the screen uh, in front of you. We also have some on the sides if you want to grab one take it home as your gift today. Judges 6, starting in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So that's kind of our starter passage. Now in the other series or other sermons in this series, we've kind of started with the function of the calling. Today we're going to start with the lie. We know that each calling has a lie that they have to deal with. And we see this pretty plain and clear for Gideon here. And the lie is this. The teacher's lie this morning is that I'm not good enough. That's the lie that the teacher has to deal with. I am not good enough. And Gideon, by all accounts, is in fact the least of these. He is a coward. When the angel finds him, he is in a wine press, really on his hands and knees, threshing wheat, trying to hide it from the Midianites. So he's, he's not Mr. Brave that the angel comes to, and yet the angel calls him a mighty man of valor. Interesting, right? He's the youngest in his house, which doesn't give him any status. Now get this, he is of the house that led Israel to worship Baal. There's some question, at least his father was a priest of Baal, and he might have been the lead priest to Baal. So not a lot is going for Gideon here when the angel shows up. But these reasons are exactly why God chooses him. He is the least qualified man for the job. His household had led Israel to Baal, so it kind of makes sense from God's perspective that his household would be the one that leads the Israelites back to God. He is the one through whom God receives the most glory. So one of the first points I want to make for us today, uh, and it's true here with Gideon, it's true with us, is that God sees in us what we cannot see in ourselves. God sees in us what we cannot see in ourselves. Verse 12, while cowering, the angel says to Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And then Gideon kind of starts to argue his point. Whoa, 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 whoa. I am not a mighty man of valor. Are you sure you got the right guy here? And then God basically says, go in this might of yours in verse 14. He backs it up. So mighty man of valor, go in this might of yours. And God's basically saying to him, I am sending you. I want you to take this same intensity that you have that you're arguing with me about why you can't do it. And let's flip that around and accomplish what I want you to accomplish. God is so good in that way. So for us this morning, we have to trust the truth of God over the lies of the enemy. That's a huge point. We have to choose to trust the truth of God over the lies of the enemy. 
And what God's going to do is take that uh, fight and the passion that Gideon's showing in this passage here, where he's saying, I'm not the one. Where's God? Why has he abandoned us? God's going to turn that around to accomplish his purpose. And so this morning, I want you to know that you can trust God. But I also want you to know that the enemy's lying to you. And you have to make a decision. You've got to make a decision who you're going to trust, who you're going to listen to. Now, in the next few verses in Judges 6, um, Gideon wants to have his faith confirmed. And that's going to become a theme kind of through this passage. He wants to see exactly that God is telling him what he thought he was telling him. So um, Gideon asked the angel, can I prepare an offering for you? And he does. And so he brings a young goat and unleavened bread and broth to the angel. And the angel tells him, hey, I want you to put this on a rock. It's kind of weird, but Gideon does. He puts it on a rock. The angel takes his staff and he touches that offering and fire comes up out of the rock and consumes the offering. And it's at this point that Gideon goes, you know what? I think Mr. Man over here that made fire come up out of the rock, that's probably the messenger of God. So I will listen to what he said. I'm going to listen to him. His faith has been confirmed there. And then Gideon prepares an altar for the Lord right then and there. So one thing that I want us to see this morning, um, as I told you, teachers give us incremental step-by-step instruction. And God is going to lead Gideon the way that Gideon will lead Israel, which is step-by-step. The food test that, just, that I just talked about that's there in verse or chapter 6, that's going to lead to his very first assignment. And it kind of backs up the, the point that we know to be true. If God can trust us in the small things, like bringing that offering that Gideon did, then he can trust us in the bigger things. But God's going to take him step by step, incremental approach, and it's going to end up in the liberation of the Israelites from the Midianites. So let's now look at uh, Judges 6, starting in verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. And I appreciate that, that last little part right there. God tells him, hey, I want you to go knock down the idol to Baal. And Gideon's like, cool, I'm good. I saw, I saw the fire come up out of the rock. I'm ready to do that. Can I do it at night? Um, and God is okay with that. God allows him to do it at night. He accomplishes it. So the next eight verses that follow in chapter six, the men of the city wake up and they realize that the altar of Baal has been torn down and they ultimately figure out that it was Gideon that did it and they call for his life. And an interesting thing happens. Gideon's father, Joash, actually stands up against him. Remember, he was a priest for Baal. But because Gideon chose to obey God and his step-by-step instruction, Joash's heart is changed. And Joash stands up against them, and he actually says to him, Hey, Baal, if he's really a god, he doesn't need you guys to kill Gideon. He can take care of it himself. So let him fend for himself. That's kind of what Joash says. And then the people of Israel rally behind Gideon. So this first mission leads to a larger mission, the tearing down of the altar to Baal. Um, By doing that, Gideon gains his father's heart. What a powerful thing. There's a turn in the father's heart. It also changes the people's heart. 
they begin to follow Gideon, and, it, and Scripture actually tells us that they line up behind Gideon. So imagine this. Gideon's gone from cowering in the wine press to tearing down the altar of Baal that has been the source of all the problems that Israel's walking through. And now here he is with the rest of the Israelites lined up behind him. Let's see what happens. Judges 6, 36 to 40. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just one, once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on, but on all the ground let there be dew. Verse 40, And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Now it's very likely that this story, the fleece, is the one that you've probably heard the most about Gideon, right? We're going to put the fleece test out and all that. And I think, um, I think if we really dig down deep and think about our own hearts and our own minds, maybe we relate to Gideon a little bit more than, than how I was brought up. Because if, if you learn like I did growing up, it wasn't always painted in the best picture that the fleece test was done for Gideon. But I want us to look at that just a little bit. This fleece test is what's going to lead to the main assignment for Gideon. So Gideon is still uncertain of himself, and he asked God to prove two times two times with the fleece that he is in fact God's chosen vessel for this mission. And I think this is important. It's not as much that he doubts God here, it's that he doubts himself. We read verse 37 to paraphrase that. Gideon's basically saying, hey, reassure me that I've heard you right. Gideon is battling that lie that he's not enough. That's the battle that he is fighting right there. And basically he's probably saying, Hey, Lord, since all of Israel is now lined up behind me and they are counting on me, uh, did I hear you correctly? You know, have you ever been there? You've been there like, whoa, I'm kind of out on a limb now. That's where Gideon is right now. Did I get your message and your plan right? In this case, it is faith asking for confirmation, not unbelief demanding God to prove himself. So let me ask you this. Have you ever doubted yourself? Has God ever called you to do something or maybe he's turned your heart towards something and you began to doubt yourself? Have you been there? I have. Well, that's what Gideon's doing here. And I just want to encourage you today, if maybe God's asked you to do something, or maybe he's leading you in a certain way and you're not sure, I want to ask you to give yourself grace because God is giving you grace in that moment. He wants to lead you step by step to what he's called you to do, all right? So that's what's happening with Gideon. We have to choose to trust God, and that is, again, the choice that Gideon's going to have to make. A couple of points here. When we choose to trust God, we trust that our inadequacies are covered by his sovereignty. That's so good, I'm going to read it again. We trust that our inadequacies are covered by his sovereignty. And we trust his way and words over the circumstances and lies of the enemy. Those are two powerful statements. It is a choice for us who we're going to trust, who we're going to listen to. So let's see what happens for Gideon. We're jumping to Judges 7 now, starting in verse 1. Then Jerubael, which is Gideon, 
And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you here. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, By three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Man, that's a crazy story. It really is. I love looking at that. Before we, before we dive into all the details of the story, this is the moment where we can talk about the function of a teacher, all right? Teachers incrementally give step-by-step instructions in order to execute the vision. I told you that earlier, but that's what they do. And here, God is leading Gideon the way that a teacher would lead, right? He tells him to take the army down to the river, right? Down by the river, all right? That's where he's headed. And this probably doesn't go the way that Gideon is hoping that it will go. Can you, can you imagine if you were Gideon, God's like, we're going to lead the army. I'm going to show you who's going to help you take the Midianites in my name. And he ends up with 300 guys. <laughs> that is, that is kind of crazy. Gideon shows all the characteristics of a teacher in the way that he follows God's call here. He does it incrementally. And he faithfully implements the step-by-step instruction that God has given him. And it diminishes Israel's odds under God's direction. Wow, right? Why? So God can get all the glory. That's it. It's so God can get all the glory. And we have to recognize here that our plans don't always match up with the Lord's, right? And what we think should happen don't always match up with what God is leading us to do. But his plan is going to work as we're going to see in just a second. So I want you to remember this too. God does the unthinkable with the unthinkable. And that is the truth of this story of Gideon. God does the unthinkable with the unthinkable. Gideon's the least likely leader, and he's leading the least likely army. I love this. God tells him, take the men down to the river, and I want you to watch them as they get a drink. And the ones that kind of shove their face in the water and start doing all that, that's our guys. All right? Now, now think about this. Are these well-trained soldiers? Because would a, would a well-trained soldier that's, that's by the camp of the Midianites, the scripture tells us, would they just kind of walk up to the river and just shove their face down in it and do all that? Or would they kind of be on alert and get down on their knees? Well, the well-trained ones would probably get down on their knees and be watching what happened. Not these guys. These are the buffoons of the 10,000, right? Hey, man, there's some water. No, 
That's what they do. And that's who God chooses to use. They're unalert. They have no idea that a potential attack could happen. That is not like a trained warrior. So God uses Gideon, he uses those soldiers, and he leads them into the least likely battle with the least likely odds, and he accomplished it in the least likely way. You see, teachers, and honestly, all of us, even if your calling is not teacher, some of the times we're concerned with our own abilities to accomplish what God has given us to do. We hear the lie that we're not enough. But with God, we can have confidence and trust his plan and his call for us to be a part of it. If he's called you to it, he's going to give you everything you need in that moment, no matter what you bring to the table. In fact, before the service, we, we, we talked about that in our little prayer meeting before the service, that it, it's never about what we bring to the table when we gather in here. It's never about what, um, how great of singers we have or how great of preachers we have. It's not about that. It's can we live lives of worship throughout the week and then together lift our voices, lift our hearts, our minds to what God might be saying to us. And the thing that I love about the story of Gideon is God is so gracious to him in his moments of fighting that lie that he's not enough. He confirms his plan over and over and over again, and he encourages him multiple times. So after reducing his army to 300, I love this part, God reassures Gideon yet again. Judges 7, starting in verse 9. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as new as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without numbers, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped. That's powerful. God confirms his plan. He sends Gideon and Pura down into the camp of Midians and they overhear a dream in which God confirms that, hey man, we're about the Midianites know they're about to go down to Gideon. The name of Gideon has been spread in the camp of the Midianites by the Lord. How cool is that? That's a huge change in application of faith for Gideon because what does he do? He worships. And it doesn't say he left the camp and worship. It just says he worshiped. He's in the middle of his enemies and he chooses to worship. How cool is that? Sometimes as we sense God's move and we begin to trust him despite our circumstances, and maybe it's a circumstance that puts us in the thick of our adversaries who are trying to trip us up or overthrow us. We need to remember that God is victorious and that he defeated the grave. That's the truth for us today. This is an Old Testament story, but we know the rest of the story. God defeated the grave, and that's powerful for us. So here is how Gideon is delivered. Judges seven fifteen. listen to this. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand 
with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then, you also blow your trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the, in, of the middle of the watch. Just as they had posted the watch, they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the 300 companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 men blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled. So imagine this picture. Gideon, the teacher, is led step by step. He's told these guys, the 300, exactly what to do. And even though they shoved their face in the water and lapped and were unaware, they were able to follow these instructions, right? They're able to follow Gideon's instructions, and God does something awesome. Remember, they saw a dream. There's panic already in the camp of the Midianites because they've heard of Gideon. God's placed his name out there among them. And so when all of this happens, when the, when the pitchers break and they see the fire and the yell goes out and the trumpets are sounded, the Midianites panic and they start running. Some of them kill each other thinking they're the enemy or maybe it was mercy kill. We don't know for sure. But either way, many died and the rest of them ran off all because Gideon chose to follow God's incremental step and his plan. So Gideon and his valiant 300 are victorious without raising a sword against their foe. That is such a cool story. So in Gideon's story, the unthinkable is achieved with the unthinkable hero in order that no one but God should receive the credit. Does that ring a bell to you? Are you familiar with something in your life that's happened to you that you can only ascribe as supernatural or a move of God, otherwise unexplainable? I know it definitely relates to me. I want to share, as we wrap up here today, I want to share just a little personal story. I relate very much to this lie of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And it's funny that this day um, when I'm scheduled to preach here in just a minute, we're going to ordain some new elders. So it's an awesome thing that our church does, but what I see is that most of our elders are in the room right now. Our student pastor is in the room right now. Our teaching pastor, Daniel's in the room right now. There's a lot of preachers in here, and guess who's not one? Me, all right? So I have to fight that fear that I'm not enough to do that. And now I only preach like four or five times a year, so I, I can stumble through it. And hope I, most of you are still awake, so this is a good thing. All right. Um, but let me tell you, as worship pastor of the church, that's in 2009, God gave me the opportunity to take over the worship ministry here at the fellowship. And we began to pray about it. And immediately I began to hear, I'm not enough. I don't think I can do it. And it it, had, it started with the musical training side. I'm going to tell you a secret, okay? Don't tell anybody else, just us, all right? I am not formally trained as a musician. Like if you were to walk up here and, and bring me sheet music to play on a piano, you've seen me play keys probably before. If you were to hand that to me, I would look at it, and I'd look at you. <laughs> and I'd look at it, and I'd look at you. To me, the uh, sheet music kind of just looks like a bunch of little stick figures jumping over a fence. That's, uh, that's what it is to me. 
So I had to battle that knowing that I wasn't formally trained as a musician, but God called me. Now he gave me the ability to play by ear and do some things like that, but I had to fight that battle. I had to fight the battle. Do I have what it takes to lead a ministry? I didn't know. It was the first one I was ever going to lead. So happy to report to you that in spite of my mistakes, we are still here today and that's a good thing. But that's about, that is something that I hear on a regular basis. And so I want you to know if you're in this place today and that's something that you resonate with, I'm right there with you. And we have to decide if we're going to trust God's call in our life or not. It's a simple yes or no. Do I trust God or not? Because Gideon, if he were to look at all the facts here, 300 aren't beating the Midianites. When they say their camels are like the sands of the sea, did you catch that part? That's a lot of camels, all right? That's not, that's not even talking about the men, right? There's a lot of men there too. So if that's you today, maybe there's someone here who needs to be reminded of that. And today, maybe you need to thank God at his altar here or at the tables on the side. Maybe you're here and you just need to hear that the supernatural is achievable when we yield our insurmountable odds in, the, in ghastly circumstances to God. Maybe this morning you've realized that you need to trust the truth of God over the lies of the enemy. Remember, God led Gideon step by step and he will do the same for you. If that's you this morning, we have prayer partners on each side that are ready to pray with you and help you take the next step. Remember, teachers help us see the next step. They lead us incrementally, step by step. So let God teach you now as we respond to him. Let's pray together and then we are going to sing, all right? God, we give you thanks today for your truth that we can stand on. I thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are sovereign, and God, that we can choose to trust your truth over the lies of the enemy. So I pray right now in this place that those that are believing the lies of the enemy, that they would turn away from that and turn to your truth. God, I thank you for the example that Gideon gave us. Lord, sometimes this faith needed to be confirmed. And Lord, I will confess that that's where I am sometimes. And so for those in this room that need to have their faith confirmed, I pray that you do that even in this moment. God, we're in great need of you today. Lord, we need you to shape us, to change us. Lord, to mold our hearts to look like what you would have us look like. And Father, we say this morning, we just submit ourselves. We trust you with all that we are. And we're ready to respond to what you have said to us today. So God, I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's respond to the Lord this morning.